Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Corinthians, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 17. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ." God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I did not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In the last episode, we mentioned that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth because of problems that they're having. But before he gets into those things, he speaks of things for which he's grateful, things about the Corinthian church that show God's power. And he starts off by being grateful that God has shown them grace. He said it was given to them in Christ Jesus, and in it they were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. Very often I think we're tempted to think of God's grace as only the single act of redemption that we experience through the blood of Christ. But any gift that God gives us is a grace, a gratuity, a favor. And all these points of grace come to us by and through Jesus. And each of those gifts are intended to enrich us. But grace is not an entitlement. It is something that we should be grateful for. God has given us a great gift or done us a great favor. And it would be a travesty to misuse those favors or to neglect them. Because Christ is confirmed in us and within our families of faith as we are enriched by these gifts from God and put them into use and practice all of the things that these gifts enable us to do. Paul says about the Corinthian church that the testimony of Christ was confirmed in them and that they were lacking nothing as they anticipated the revealing of Christ. This foretelling mentioned by Paul seems to be the final judgment when Jesus returns. And because there is a judgment, 
Paul assures his readers that they would be sustained by the same Jesus that had given them grace until that day, and that they would be found guiltless. That may be astonishing to us since we already know that Paul is going to write about a lot of things that these folks were doing wrong. At one point, Paul says their assemblies are doing more harm than good. So it seems as if that group of people would be judged harshly. But Paul says that God will sustain them so that they be found guiltless on that day of judgment. I think it's important to note here that Paul continues to call his readers brothers, even though they're guilty of sin. This goes to show us that Paul had not given up on these people, even if they had momentarily given up on doing things the right way or had misunderstood the best way to do them. And this should give us full assurance that Christ doesn't give up on us either. But when Paul talks about them being found guiltless on that day of judgment, it's not because they had never done anything wrong. It's because they had been covered by the blood of Christ. And he's talking to a group of people that ultimately seem to be striving to figure out how to get it right, and not necessarily talking about some of the people who have willfully sinned. In chapter 5, Paul's going to talk about a willful sinner that should be removed from the congregation, that he should be handed over, and that maybe in some way that would bring about the salvation of his spirit. Paul even seems to indicate that some physical punishment may be appropriate for the person he's talking about. But in this case, he's hoping that the willful sinner will repent and return to God's path. When we take into account all that Paul says in this letter, he seems to say there's a difference between the people who are struggling to get it right and the people who are in active rebellion. So Paul is addressing a group of people who he's confident will seek God's path and do the right thing as he sheds light on the proper way to think about the issues that they have before them. And so with that said, Paul dives right into some of the problems he's heard about. A woman named Chloe has sent a report to Paul about some of the problems that they're having, and the primary one seems to be that they're divided. And I think Paul deals with this first because until they understand the significance and the meaning of unity, it's going to be difficult for them to deal with other issues that need to be addressed. The divisions they're experiencing are based on who they receive their teaching from and possibly who baptized them. Some people were saying, I'm a disciple of Peter. Some were saying, I'm a disciple of Paul. Some, I'm a disciple of Apollos. And this lets us know something about the makeup of the church. There evidently were Christians in Corinth who had been present on that first Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus in Jerusalem when Peter preached that first gospel sermon and over 3,000 people were converted. In all probability, those were the ones that were saying that they were of Peter. Others had experienced Paul's teaching when he came to Corinth to start with and had lived there for a year and a half. As they received his teaching and were baptized and became a part of this community of believers, they saw great significance in being connected to the Apostle Paul. But as he ran out of town, Apollos comes in and picks up where Paul left off. And so people that he converted are feeling an attachment to him. And because he's there present with them, they seem to think that may carry greater weight. And then there seemed to be others who were going, wait a minute, they were all preaching about the same Jesus. Aren't we all disciples of Christ? And so this was creating divisions among them. 
each group thinking maybe they had a little greater understanding or understood the greater significance of one point or another because of the teaching they had received from the person they most respected. I can't help but think that this problem still afflicts us. When I look at American Christianity and see all of the different religious groups that claim to be preaching the truth and all have different versions of that and argue with one another and actually end up harming the witness of Christ because there's so much infighting that a lost and dying world doesn't know what to think or who to believe. There have been multiple movements in Christian history to try to unify Christendom and bring them back to basics and get on the same page and move forward together. But after 2,000 years, so many different religious groups have entrench their thoughts and beliefs, sometimes it's very difficult to have discussions that are any more than just me affirming what I've always been taught. Every Christian I meet is convinced that they approach Scripture with an open heart and an open mind and are willing to do whatever God calls them to do. But the fact remains that we very often disagree. And as we mentioned in the last episode, Paul's going to tell us in this letter that some of those disagreements are okay that we need to learn to get along in spite of our differences and keep Christ at the center of everything. There are going to be other differences where he says, no, that's very important, and we do need to be on the same page. It's my prayer that more and more religious leaders will be concerned about pointing people to Christ and following in his footsteps than defending their denominational territory that as they teach those who come to them to learn, that they will be open and honest about Scripture and that they will share all of Scripture in a way that helps people be more loving and compassionate to their fellow man, to be concerned about the things Jesus was concerned about, to help them truly be disciples of Christ so that we can be united in our purpose and in our attitudes, even sometimes when we can't agree on all the details. We mentioned earlier that Christ would sustain us until the day of the Lord. I think there's a connection between Jesus sustaining his disciples and unity in the church. When we allow ourselves to be sustained by Christ and Christ alone, not our desire to be a part of any group or any other selfish desire, the church can be united and Christ can be affirmed among us. We need to understand that unity is not the absence of conflict. Any group of people that are together long enough are going to come into conflict. They're going to have a disagreement about one thing or another. The importance is not whether or not they have the conflict. It's whether or not they're willing to resolve that in a godly way. Unity is actively resolving our conflicts for the purpose of achieving the goals that God has given us so that we can be healthy Christians, healthy churches, and fulfill the will of our Lord. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.